Father, we love you. And God, we just open our hearts to you right now. God, just have your way. Father, speak to us today. God, I just pray right now that by your spirit, you would speak into each and every life, God, what each of us need to hear from you, Father. God, we lay aside distractions, we lay aside the busyness and the cares of life, God, and we fix our attention on you. God, have your way in our lives today. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. All right, well, here at Chick Connection in this season, our focus has really been on love, and we've talked about God's incredible love toward us, our which compels us to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then we talked about loving our neighbors as ourselves. So we spent some time talking about how we really love ourselves. And two weeks ago, we really launched into focusing on others, loving others. And so uh, two Tuesdays ago, we really talked about loving our neighbor. Who is our neighbor? And we saw that our neighbor really is not just the person next door, but it's anyone, right? Whether they live in our home with us, or they live on our street, or they are those that we encounter as we're out and about during the day, or even those on the other side of the globe. All of humanity, really, is our neighbor. And God has called all of us to be neighbor to them, to be that one that will extend his love into their lives. That's who he's created us to be. And then last week on Monday night, we really focused on this human trafficking as you have heard or maybe you were here. And you know, we did that for multiple reasons. First of all, we need to be women who are aware, who are aware not just of what's going on around the globe, but aware of what's happening right here in our own communities as well. So we needed the awareness, but also, we strategically did that at this time because it ties right into where we're at, talking about loving others, loving our neighbors. Because, you know, there are people who, who are hurting, who are in the midst of tragic situations that we need to be reaching out to, that we need to be able to speak up for, that we need to be able to open our mouths for, and we need to be able to stand up for justice where injustices are happening. That is part of loving others, of loving our neighbor. You know, in Proverbs 31, verses 8 and 9, it says, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those being crushed. Yes, speak up for the poor and the helpless and see that they get justice. This is part of God's command to us. This is his word. This is part of his command to every one of us. We are all called, created, and equipped to be people who will stand up for justice, who will open our mouths for the oppressed, open our mouths for those who cannot defend themselves. And you know, right now in our world today, Justice is a really big trend. There are so many justice movements, and people want to jump on the justice bandwagons of doing good, and, and that's awesome. But so many 
movements and so many times people jump on those bandwagons to be able to say, look at me, look what I'm doing to, to help. Isn't this great? And you know what? Justice may be a trend right now, but these verses were written far before it was trendy to stand up for justice, okay? And so God has called us as his daughters, as his creations on this earth to stand up for justice because we are the ones with him in us. We are the ones who can make an eternal difference in others' lives. We're not called to stand up for justice for the sake of justice's sake, for the sake of just saying, oh, isn't this great? Oh, I'm part of the latest trend. Oh, let me slap a Band-Aid on there. See how great I am. No, we are called to stand up for justice, to open our mouths for the oppressed, for those who cannot defend themselves, because we have the ability with God on the inside of us to reach into their lives, to let his love flood into their lives, to bring them hope in Jesus, to help them find the love of Jesus, to help them discover that they can spend eternity with him, that they can have life here on this earth with him, vibrant, abundant life, where he comes in and heals and delivers them and transform their lives, that they can live daily in relationship with him. That's what it's about. That's what God has called every one of us to do. It's not just about being part of something that's trendy at the moment. We can bring the life-giving power of God into people's lives. And that's what he calls us to do, to love others, to love our neighbor no matter who it is. Our families within our homes, those down the street, those on the other side of the globe, those who are in critical, tragic situations, enslaved in prisons, not necessarily behind bars, but could be also, but living within prisons of their own lives. Ladies, we all can do something to help others. We all can reach into the lives of others. And sometimes the needs of humanity seem a little overwhelming, don't they? The cries of humanity are big. There are so many huge situations going on and critical things happening in people's lives. Did you ever feel overwhelmed by, oh my gosh, what can I do? What can, who am I? What can I do to really help? Sometimes the, the needs of humanity are so big and can be so overwhelming. Sometimes even the needs of those right around us closest at home can be a little overwhelming. Have you ever found that to be true? Sometimes we can get a little overwhelmed by the daunting needs of others around us. And you know, when I talk to women who hear these, these huge needs of, of others, it seems to me that most often we end up falling into three categories, one of three categories with our response. Either there are those who hear a huge need or maybe hear things like we heard last Monday night and they get this huge dream in their heart. Oh my gosh, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna do this huge thing. I'm gonna start this ministry. I'm gonna do this to reach out to them. Oh, this is so exciting. And there are those that have that vision and just those huge dreams in their hearts. And then there are others who say, oh, I want to do something. I'm not sure what to do. I'm not sure where to start. 
but okay, I'm in. I want to do something. I want to do my part. And then there are others who say, oh, you don't know me. You don't know my past. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know, uh, I, I, I can't help. I, I can't do anything. I am so unqualified. I'm the most unqualified person ever. I am not able. There's nothing I can do. And it seems to me most of us in our response fall into one of those three categories. But you know, I want us to talk today about someone who did something really amazingly remarkable to speak up for the oppressed, who really did something huge to, to speak up and stand up for justice. And this is a woman, a young woman, who could have very easily said, well, because of my background, because of the upbringing I had, I am the least qualified. There is no way I can do anything. I cannot help. She had no idea what to do or where to start. And she didn't even know that she was going to be used to do something great. Yet she ended up doing something so significant that it impacted and saved, literally, physically, saved countless, countless, countless lives, and as a result, countless future generations. And so, no matter how you find yourself responding to the needs and the cries of humanity around you, I think we will all be able to identify with the story of this young woman's life and learn some things from her this morning. And maybe some of you have guessed already. I want to talk this morning about the story of Esther. And many of you are probably very familiar with the story of Esther. And there may be some of you here this morning that aren't very familiar. And that's okay. We're going to take a few moments and just give a little recap, a little overview of her story so that it's fresh in all of our minds. And then we're just going to learn a few things from her life this morning, okay? So just to recap, King Ahasuerus was ruling at this time, and he reigned over a huge area, 127 provinces, stretching from India to Ethiopia. So this was a huge area that he was ruling over, okay? And one day, he was holding a very extravagant banquet for all of his nobles and officials, all of the men in his entire empire. And it was just the men there. So he wanted his wife, Queen Vashti, to come in, and she was extremely beautiful, the Bible says. And so he wanted her to come in so that he could show her off and show her beauty off, and they could all see how beautiful she was and really then how lucky he was to have a wife like that. And so he called for her. Well, she didn't want to come. She was busy. She was throwing a banquet for all of the women. And so she was at this banquet with the women, and he calls for her, and she says, oh, no, I can't come. I'm busy. And, and she ended up not coming. And the men that were at his banquet were like, King, you're 
not going to let her get away with this. She can't do that. I mean, all of our wives, all of the women are with her right now. What kind of example will that set? They will end up being disobedient and disrespectful to us. We can't have that. You need to do something about this. And so they started telling him their ideas of what he should do. And they said, you should you know, strip her of her title of queen. And, and then, oh, and then, king, yes, you should issue a decree so that all the young virgins in all of your empire, in all 127 provinces, would be brought into your palace. And then they would all be given beauty treatments for a year. And then they would one by one be brought into you. And you could choose who you think should be the next queen. I don't think it took a whole lot of uh, prodding for him to go along with this idea. And so he said, yes, that sounds like a great idea. And so the decree was issued and the girls were brought in. And there was a young girl there actually in that province where he ruled from and her name was Esther and she was an orphan girl and she'd been orphaned at a young age her parents died and she was adopted and raised by an older cousin Mordecai and so he says okay the decree's been issued you have to go you have to go to the palace so she went along with all the other girls and she found great favor. When she got into the palace, for some reason, she had great favor with Haggai, who was overseeing all the girls there, and she got a little extra special treatment while she was there. But then after one year, of all of them having these incredible beauty treatments, can you imagine? A year of beauty treatments with oils and perfumes, and sounds kind of nice, huh? But then after a year, they, they would go before the king, and they each got to pick their clothing and their jewelry. And so it was Esther's turn, and she was sent in to the king, and the king was most impressed with Esther and most pleased with her, and he put the crown on her head, and he said, you will be the queen. And so Esther became queen, and, and then about that time, her cousin Mordecai, he became a guard at the palace, and shortly thereafter, there was a man named Haman who was appointed as to, uh, second in command, second only to the king. And this man, he was a little bit arrogant and a prideful man. As you read through the story, you see his character. And... He wanted all of the palace officials, of which Mordecai was one, to bow before him whenever he passed by. Well, Mordecai wouldn't do it. And Haman learned about it, and he heard, Mordecai won't do it. Everyone's bowing, but Mordecai won't. Mordecai, why aren't you bowing? He said, because I'm a Jew. I won't do it. And Haman was enraged, and he was so upset that he said, okay, I'm not going to just retaliate on you and take out my anger on you, Mordecai. I'm going to take out my anger on all Jews. And so he went to the king and he said, King, there is a certain race of people amongst your empire who abide by a different set of laws. This shouldn't be. This is, is harmful for you, king. We can't have this. We should annihilate them. We should put them to death and destroy them. Don't you agree? 
And the king says, oh, well, whatever you say, Haman, if you think that should be, then yes, I agree. That sounds good to me. I agree. So the decree was issued that on a set day at an appointed time, all of the Jews in that entire empire, men, women, children, they would all be put to death. And Mordecai heard this news, and he went into great mourning, and he tore his clothes, and he put on a burlap and ashes, which was customary for mourning, and he went out in front of the palace, and he's wailing in mourning, and the mourning spread throughout all the Jews throughout the empire, and Esther's in the palace. And she didn't know what had happened. She didn't know that this decree had been issued. And so she sends one of her attendants out. Find out what is going on. Why is Mordecai mourning? And so the attendant goes out and talks to Mordecai. And Mordecai tells him what has happened and even gave him a copy of the decree to take to Esther. He said, here, show her so she can see for herself and give her this message. Tell her she needs to go before the king and she needs to beg for mercy for her people. Now at this point, nobody knew that Esther was a Jew. And so the attendant comes back and gives Esther this message. And her reply is, are you kidding? Everyone knows that you can't just waltz in before the king and beg for something. You can't just go before him and ask for anything. You can't just go before him without being summoned to come before him. And she's like, this is crazy. This cannot be done. This is illegal. This is, is against the law. If you go to the king without being summoned, you will be put to death unless he raises his gold scepter to you. And Esther says, and by, besides, I have not been called by the king in over 30 days. So, I don't know, maybe he's visiting other women in the harem, but he's not visiting me. So, the chances of him raising that gold scepter to me are not very good right now. So, she's like, there's no way. Tell Mordecai, forget it. I cannot do this. That was her reply. And then Mordecai says to the attendant, well, you go back. And you tell Esther, don't you think that you will escape if you keep quiet? Don't forget, remember, you are a Jew also. And this is your life also. And just maybe this is the reason you have become queen. And just maybe this is the reason you are in the palace right now. Just maybe it's for such a time as this as you have been appointed to be queen. And I think when Esther heard those words, something resonated in her heart. And she knew that God had an assignment for her because from that point forward, she changed her response. And she responded and told the attendant to go back and give this message to Mordecai, go gather all the Jews in the area and fast for me for three days and three nights. And I'll gather my maids and we will do the same. And then I will go before the king. And if I die, I die. Wow, quite a change in her response. 
And after three days, she did. She approached the king. And can you imagine how nervous she must have been? I mean, I just think about her going in and thinking, is this going to be my last breath? Am I going to be put to death right now? She's probably shaking, knees a little trembling. And she goes in, and what happens? He raises the gold scepter, and she finds favor. And he says, Esther, come. What is it I can do for you? Now, put yourself in her shoes. I don't know about you, but I put myself in her shoes, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I would feel such relief. I'd be like, oh, thank God. I'd probably fall to the floor, and then I'd just blur it out. This is what's happening to the Jews, and you've got to save us. And And I'd pour it all out right then. Is that what you would do? I don't know. He asked, so I'd want to tell him. She's so cool. That's not what she did. She says, I'd like to invite you and Haman to a banquet that I'm preparing for you. Where did that come from? Wow, I think in those three days of prayer and fasting, that God gave her a plan. And she just took the next step in that plan. And she invited them to this banquet. And so they came. And she served them, and she waited on them, and they had wonderful food, and, and she, she fed them and served them drinks. And they had a wonderful evening, and then the king asked her, okay, Esther, now tell me, what is it I can do for you? What is it that you want? I'd be thinking, all right, stomach's full, the way to a man's heart's through his stomach. All right, this is the right timing. He's had a little to drink. Okay, here it is. No, I'd like you and Haman to come back to a banquet tomorrow night. That's what she says. Wow, she heard a plan from God for sure. And then they come back the second night, and after dinner the second night, the king asks her, okay, Esther, what is it? What is it I can do for you? And at that point, she tells him about the plot to kill the Jews. And he says, who would do such a thing? And she exposes Haman that he is behind this. And the king, through a series of events, orders him to be put to death. And then after that, Mordecai is promoted. And the king allows Mordecai and Esther to issue a new decree, which enables the Jews to be able to defend themselves, which is really significant because what they did in that new decree, it enabled defenseless people to be able to defend themselves. And as a result, many people in that empire were converted because they saw God's hand and God's favor toward the Jews word of God's hand on them spread throughout that empire. Esther did something huge. She did something incredibly brave and heroic that impacted thousands and thousands of people and future generations. And you know, as I stopped to think about her story, I mean, maybe there was a a hidden dream in her heart. Maybe as a young girl, she had a little dream of, of doing something so great and so impactful. But I don't know. Nowhere does it tell us that. One thing that we do know is that it seemed that when she first heard the report of 
this decree being issued to kill the Jews, that her initial response was, no way. This is too big. This is too impossible. There is absolutely nothing that I can do. She had no idea of how to start, where to step in, what to do, because it was illegal to go before the king. Ah, it's impossible. Nothing I can do. So how did she go from hearing about this overwhelming, huge, daunting need of people to thinking that there is absolutely nothing she could do to a place of having saved the Jews throughout an entire empire. How did she get there? How did she do that? Because so often, don't we feel like that? There's nothing I can do. But maybe God has something very significant he wants us to do. How do we get there? I think we can learn four lessons from her life. Let's just look at these things quickly. In Esther 4, 16, I think this verse is really key. And this is Esther's response right after Mordecai tells her that maybe you are there for such a time as this. Verse 16, she responds and she says, Go, gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan and fast for me. Neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will fast likewise. And so I will go to the king, which is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. First thing I want us to notice is she was totally dependent on God. She knew that she didn't have the answers. She knew she didn't have the plan. She needed God's direction and committed to seek him for his direction through prayer and fasting. She needed to hear from him. You know, Esther's situation looked pretty impossible. You can't go before the king. It's not allowed. It's illegal. People don't just do that. You will be killed. It's not proper protocol. You can't do that. That was all true. That was the natural circumstance in front of her. And that's what her initial response stemmed out of. But she got past her initial response, past what the situation said in the natural. Sometimes we need to get past our initial response, don't we? Sometimes our initial response is based just on what we see in the natural. But she moved past that. But you know, sometimes we don't even seek God when a situation looks too big or impossible. We just take it at face value. And when the situation looks too big, our initial response so often is, well, that's just impossible. There's nothing I can do. We've got to be willing to look beyond the natural, to look beyond our initial response, and just be willing to seek God for his direction. Because he always sees a bigger picture than we see. He always sees it differently than we do. We have such limited perspective. He sees this much bigger picture. And he just wants us to be willing to come and say, God, what's my part? What is my part in this, God? And be willing to accept a part in it. It doesn't mean that we are saying, okay, God, Use me to be the answer for all humanity for this issue across the globe. We could just do our part. 
Say, God, I want to seek you to know what my part is. Rather than being overwhelmed by it and thinking it's impossible because it's so big. But if every one of us does our part, his answers come across the globe, right? He just wants us to seek him. Okay, secondly, from that verse 16, we see that she saw power in connecting with others. She didn't just separate herself from everyone else and say, okay, everybody go, leave me alone. Shh, I gotta go lock myself in and just pray and seek God for three days. That's not what she did. She said, go gather all the Jews to fast for three days and I'll call my maidservants and we will all together do the same thing. She called on others to stand with her, to pray with her. She knew the power of being connected with others. Ladies, so often we can isolate ourselves and we can just get off on our own. Okay, okay, God, just show me what this is and we just don't want anyone else's input. We just want to get alone and okay, God, what do you want me to do? And you know what? We need to be a little bit careful because sometimes when we get off on our own, sometimes we can think we hear from God when it's just the pizza the night before. We can think we hear from God when it's just our emotions pulling us in a certain direction. Now, this is not to say that we can never hear from God on our own because we absolutely can. But we need to recognize that there is an incredible power in being connected with others. And when we're connected with others, praying for direction, seeking God for his direction, what he would have us do, and he gives all of us that clarity of direction and the next step. You know what, there is such wisdom in that. There is such safety and protection in that. And you see, when Esther went before the king, she wasn't alone, she wasn't on her own. They were there, they were, they were praying. Don't you know they were praying when she went before him? They'd been fasting for three days, they were with her. They were supporting her. There is that support when we're connected to others. It is so important. When we together sense God's leading and his directing, it keeps us on track. There is value in being connected. And then when we embark on endeavors, when we step out together, there's greater strength, there's greater potential, there's greater resource, there's greater sustainability, and there's greater impact. Because one of us can only do so much. One of us can only impact so many lives, but together, we can do so much more. And we can accomplish more, we can reach more lives. And ladies, can I just tell you, through the years, I have seen over and over again, I've seen so many times where people have this idea of something that they want to do, something good, something to help others, and they run off on their own to make it happen in their zeal. They run off on their own, and in the process, they end up pulling away from the body, isolating themselves from church. They pour all of their time and their resources into making something happen until they exhaust themselves and exhaust their resources and end up angry at God and bitter and separating themselves from God. I don't know of many things that break my heart more 
than seeing that. Ladies, I cannot stress to you enough the importance of connection. And just you know, as a pastor, I think it just, it's one of those things that just burns in my heart, just not wanting people to get separated and isolated on their own. You know, the Bible talks about in, in Proverbs 18.1, it says, he who isolates himself seeks his own desire and rages against all sound judgment. It is unwise for us to isolate. We need each other. We need to stay connected. And the enemy will do anything and everything he can to get us separated and isolated because he knows that when we get away from that sheepfold, when the sheep gets away from the sheepfold, it is prey for the enemy. And the enemy sets traps that are much easier for us to step into when we are isolated and stepping out on our own. There is power in staying connected. We need to stay connected to the body. All right. Third thing we can learn from Esther. In that verse 16, the last part of it says, and so I will go to the king, which is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Thirdly, Esther stepped out with great courage. Wow. What incredible courage. She made no excuses. I mean, put yourself in her shoes. She could have made a million excuses. Any good excuse makers in the room today? I know how to make excuses just as well as the rest of you, <laughs> whether you admit it or not. She had reason to make excuses. She could have easily said, I'm just an orphan girl. Um, hello. My parents died when I was young. I was raised by my older male cousin, and yeah, he was a great guy, but you know, he didn't really know much about raising a girl, and I didn't have a mom figure, and um, I had a messed up childhood, and I can't do this. Look at me, look at my background. I can't do this. She could have said, there's no way I can go before the king. I mean, after all, God abandoned me by allowing me to be orphaned as a child. You think he's going to allow the king to raise that scepter? No, I'm just going to be abandoned again. It's just going to happen again. There's no way. I can't do this. She could have made that excuse. She could have played the victim card. Did you ever stop to think about the fact that Esther was a victim? You see, the story of Esther gets really glamorized. And we think about that year of beauty treatments and think, wow, how cool is that? And then she got to pick whatever clothing and jewelry and wow, how awesome. But stop and think about this for a minute. All of the young virgins had to come to the palace. They had no choice. It was law that was issued. They had to go into the palace. They had to be there for that time. They then, one by one, had to take their turn to go in to the king's bed. They were forced to have sex with the king so that then he could pick who pleased him the most. That's what the word says. Wow, we kind of gloss over that part. She could have played the victim card. She so easily 
could have said, I am here against my will. I, am, I do not want to be here. This is not right. I am not doing anything. I am not going to help. I am a victim here. Somebody needs to help me. She could have had her focus all on herself. You might say, well, yeah, but she got chosen as queen. He must have loved her the most. She might have been saying, oh, great. I got picked as queen. That means I have to go in and have sex with him more frequently than the rest of anyone in the harem. That's the reality. She so easily could have played that victim card, but she didn't. She refused to have a victim mentality. She did not sit around feeling sorry for herself and refusing to do anything to help. She was incredibly courageous. You know, it is impossible to be courageous when we're focused on ourselves and feeling sorry for ourselves. Did you ever stop to think about that? But we are compelled to be courageous when our focus is on others. See, ladies, when we seek God for his direction and when we are connected to others seeking God, you know what happens? It provides this safety net for us where it is this safe place where we can rise up with courage and step out of our comfort zones and do what God has asked us to do. Others were there praying for her. She was not alone. She sought God and then courageously just took the next step that he was asking her to take. The fourth thing I want us to see about Esther She sought God, she stayed connected to others, and she was willing to step out with courage. But fourthly, you know, she continued to serve while waiting on God's timing. She didn't get ahead of God. In Esther chapters 5 through 7, it says that Esther prepared the two extravagant banquets for the king and for Haman, and she waits on them. She serves them, not just once, but repeatedly. Have you ever felt like you're doing what God told you to do, but nothing's changing? Anybody ever felt that way? Like you've taken that next step, you've done what he's asked you to do, but gosh, nothing's different, nothing's changing. Have you ever felt like, are my efforts worthless? Is anything ever going to happen here? Because everything looks the same. It doesn't look like anything's changed. But think about this with me for a moment. Esther had the king and Haman come to the banquet the first night. And then she had them come back the second night. But in between, that night, late that night after the first banquet, everything changed. But she didn't know it. She couldn't see what had happened. She may have been wondering, all right, they're coming back. Again, the next night, I've got all this to do to get ready. Am I going to have them come back a third night, a fourth night, a fifth night? God, how long is this going to be going on? What if when he asked me tonight, what did you want me to do for you, Esther? What should I say? Should I tell him tonight? Should I hold my tongue? Should I just invite them back for the next night? God, what do I do? Because it doesn't look like anything has changed. What do I do here? ever feel like nothing's changing? Like you're just going, you're just serving, you're just continuing to serve and nothing's changed? 
Well, everything changed that one night after that first banquet. Think about this. The Bible tells us in Esther that after that first banquet, Haman went home. And he started bragging to his family about how awesome the banquet was. And he was the only person outside of the king who was invited and how great that was and how important he must be. But then he had to pass by Mordecai and Mordecai didn't bow to him. And gosh, life would be great if it wasn't for that Mordecai. And he makes me so mad. And doesn't he know that I'm worthy of him bowing down? So he's venting all this to his family that night after the banquet. And his family says, well, you certainly are just so important. And you deserve to be bowed down to. So you need to stay up tonight and build these gallows that Mordecai can be hung on. And then in the morning, you go into the king and you tell him about Mordecai. And then and he's going to say, yes, hang him him on those gallows and it'll all be over. So yeah, that's what I'm going to do. So that's what he did after that first banquet. And during that same night, it just so happened that over in the palace, the king, he couldn't sleep. And so he's tossing and turning, can't sleep. Finally, he says to one of the attendants, let's get one, a book, let's read. And it just so happened that they pulled the book out. It was a book of records of part of the history during the king's reign. And so he's reading and reading and reading, and the night's getting closer to morning, and he comes to this part that he tells the king about this story where Mordecai, had exposed this plot where these two men were going to assassinate the king. And he reads this and he says, wait, whatever happened to Mordecai? Did, it, did he get rewarded for this? Oh my gosh, he saved my life. Whatever happened to him? And, and the attendant, they check, they say, well, nothing. He was never rewarded. Well, we've got to do something for him. And then it just so happened that about that time, morning rolls around and Haman walks in and he's going to tell him that how awful Mordecai is and we've got to hang him and kill him. But before he has a chance to open his mouth, then um, the... Oh, <laughs> Then I got distracted and lost my place. And <laughs> before he has a chance to open his mouth, yes, I remember, the king says to him, Haman, oh, glad you're here. Um, what do you think the king should do for someone that he just delights to honor, just really wants to honor? And so Haman thinks about this and thinks for a moment and says, well, who would he want to honor more than me? So, okay, this is what you should do. I think the king should put one of his royal robes on someone he wants to honor. And then he should put this person up on one of the king's horses. And then one of his highest officials should take the horse and this person and parade them through the entire city, shouting, this is what the king does for someone he delights to honor. And the king says, Perfect, that's it. You go do that for Mordecai right now. Can you imagine? Oh my gosh, ah, not what he was expecting. So, but he has to do it. He's the king and this is what he told him to do, so he has to do it. I mean, oh, just imagine. I'm sure he's like through the city holding the horse's reins. 
This is what the king does for people he delights to honor. And people are looking and they're seeing someone in the king's robe on the king's horse thinking, what's going on? This is important. This must be an important announcement. What? We can't hear you. We can't hear you. (laughs) This is what the king does for someone he delights to honor. I mean, can you imagine how humiliating that must have been? So that transpired throughout the entire day. And when they finished, Mordecai went back to his post, and Haman went home, and right about that time, they came and got him. Said, okay, time to come back for the second banquet. So he went. Now, Esther doesn't know that any of that had happened. I mean, think about it. If she didn't know that a decree had been issued to kill the Jews, if she didn't know why Mordecai was out mourning, surely she didn't know that any of this had happened. She was busy preparing for the banquet. And so they came in, and they arrive for the banquet, and she again, she serves them, she prepares all this food that she serves to them, and and they eat, and they drink, and then, for some reason, at that second banquet, she felt compelled to take that next step. And when the king asked her, Esther, now, what is it? What can I do for you? At that moment, she exposed Haman's plan to kill the Jews. And the king, at that point, he was not only now receptive to hearing it, but the truth came to the surface because one of his attendants told him that Haman had built a gallows to hang Mordecai on. And so the king, it's like hearing this and realizing this is true. Haman is behind this plot, and he commands Haman to be hung on the very gallows that he built for Mordecai. The truth came out. You see, God's timing is perfect. Esther didn't know that stuff had happened, but she just was willing to take the next step. And God had orchestrated details behind the scenes. His timing is perfect. And you know, maybe there's something that God has put in your heart, something he's put in your heart to do. Can I just encourage you? Let's learn from Esther. Just keep serving faithfully. We don't need to get ahead of God. We don't need to jump in and, this is what needs to happen, and try to manipulate circumstances. No, we just keep serving, and then when God drops it in our heart, just faithfully take the next step, and then keep serving, and then faithfully take the next step. Even when you can't see it, God is working behind the scenes. I don't know what it is that you're waiting on God for today, but you can be assured that he is moving and working behind the scenes. You may not see it. You may not have any idea, but don't quit. Don't give up because God is orchestrating details. He's preparing hearts. He's causing truth to be brought to the light. And just because you can't see it, it does not mean he is not at work. He is at work, and he will lead you if we just listen and take each step in his timing. Maybe there are new areas you want to step out in. 
things that you want to do to reach out, to help others. And maybe you think, oh, gosh, I just don't know where to start, what to do. It seems impossible. Just learn from Esther. Seek God for your part. Seek God and ask him what he would have you do. Stay connected to the body. Can I just tell you, over the next couple months here at the bridge, there are going to be lots of opportunities that we're going to be sharing with you, things in our hearts that we're wanting to see, areas of outreach, things that we can do to step out and to impact others' lives. So stay connected to the body. And then have courage to take one step at a time as God leads you. And then just keep faithfully serving him along the way. Don't worry about focusing on what's down the road. Just focus on what God's asking you to do today. What is God asking you to do today? Maybe it's just to seek him. Maybe there's something before you, an opportunity. And he's saying, it's time to take that next step. Whatever it is, just listen to him and follow him. Can I pray for you this morning? Father, God, we want to be used by you. And Father, you know each of these women so intimately. And Father, whether there are big dreams in their hearts or whether they're sitting here saying, I don't know what to do or where to start, or maybe in the past they've said, who am I to do anything? God, I pray that every one of us just learn from Esther and that we would be willing to be vessels for your use to impact other people's lives. God, use us. Show us our part. God, help us not to get our eyes on somebody else's part or what they're doing or how they're doing it. God, just show us our next step and give us courage to take it and then just to stay connected, to keep seeking you, to keep serving until we hear the next step and then give us the courage to take the next step until we walk into the fullness of all that you created us for, God. In Jesus' name, amen.